This week on Tooling Review, we are taking a look at Batgirls number one from DC Comics. Thank you to everyone who's joining us in the live chat this week. Don't forget, if you are a Patreon member, if you're a patron at patreon.com slash major spoilers, and you link your Patreon account to our Discord server, uh, then you can come in and access the Dueling Review Stages room, where you can listen to us record this show live at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Also, a little bit of uh, pre-show chatter and post-show chatter uh, that you get that we do not record and you're not going to hear anywhere else. So another reason to make your Patreon dollars work for you. Find out more at patreon.com slash major spoilers. The other thing that patrons get to do at patreon.com slash major spoilers is vote for the comic that we're reviewing this week. And this week, everyone decided Batgirls number one uh, was the one that they uh, that the majority wanted and majority rules uh, here. Uh, so we're looking at uh, Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad telling the story with art by Jorge Corona. And this is a future state story. And I'll be honest, I don't really know everything that's going on in Future State, except it's the future and villains have been outlawed or sorry, vigilantes have been outlawed. And there's some Mm -hmm. crazy um, magistrate and his goons running around trying to kill all the superheroes or all the vigilantes, I should say. Wait, this is a future state. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought it rolled out of fear state. um, No, I think it's a I think it's future state because they they, they talk about Batman fear state in. They were the the magistrates goons show up in the very last page. Right. But when when Oracle is talking about it, they're talking about references that happened in fear state, which I thought was actual current. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, anything is possible. Why then do the magistrate? Why do they mention the magistrate at the end? No idea. Um, so I think in the, this. The, I don't know. So in this story. Uh, it's time for Cassandra Kane and Stephanie Brown and Oracle to go find a new place to live, a new section of Gotham. And so they go and they move into a new apartment complex, which feels very much like a Nightwing series from, you know, 20 years ago. And some of their neighbors are looking shifty. They have to deal with some thugs that are kind of trying to control the town. And they're trying to stay out of the eye of somebody called the seer, who I don't know who the seer is, uh, must be a, a, a new villain. Uh, that everybody knows of, but, uh, so she's kind of narrating parts of this story. Mm-hmm. And then there's something going on with some hypnosis guys. And that's kind of your story. Yeah. The hypnosis guys were kind of confusing to me, but, um, the seer to my knowledge is from fear state, which is why I thought this was a fear state thing. Mm. Uh, because I, and again, you know, I'm not sure of the difference between fear state and future state because Jace Fox has become Batman in the actual sort of continuity, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but the seer that I know is the one who dresses like Kaliman um, and run, runs around Gotham City and does weird stuff. So it may be a different character. No, I mean, they do reference fear state. They're saying, hey, look at the events of fear state because they blew up the clock tower or whatever in that. But like I said, when you get to the end of the issue and they're talking about the magistrate, that's definitely future state stuff. So um, that maybe may this be is something... the magistrate from the past, which is actually now. Yeah, like I, say, no I don't know. My, DC continuity is just like a complete uh, mess to me now. And it honestly doesn't matter because none of that is really important to the understanding of this book. It's just like this is this is why we're all living together in a little apartment and, you know, doing the whole thing like the Harley Quinn movie. I don't know if it's a little apartment. They have the whole top floor of a building. 
uh, which is well, they're uh, they're playing it off like it's just some terrible little place, and oh, we don't even have our super killer Wi-Fi with the amazing VPN that everybody. Uh, these are rich people. Rich people. Um, yeah, I think the the reason why they don't have that is because they're trying to hide from the seer, and mm-hmm. so because of whatever happened in Fear State, they have to go out, and part of their mission is to go out and keep a low profile, and also help Oracle set up her her super secret Wi-Fi to keep everybody safe. Uh, but again, it doesn't go as as well as you might think, because not only do they have to deal with the street level thugs and the magistrates goons. There's somebody who's a, there's a serial killer on the loose in this part of the city and Mm -hmm. Cassandra and Stephanie think that they know who it might be. And, um, there's also a guy who's a a street artist who's tagging everything. And then there's the hypnotist storyline. So they're dumping a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. into this first issue to kind of get you into the, yeah, this is a totally different part of Gotham. This is not the the stuff that Batman normally deals with. This is a lot of street level stuff. You know, get in here and roll with it as as quickly as you can. Even though honestly, I think it's pretty clear where things are are lining up uh, at mm-hmm. some point. Uh it will not surprise me if the Batgirls and the street gang have to team up to take down the hypnotized um people that uh that are in here and also my guess is that the again this is based on art so i guess one of the issues i have with and this isn't really an issue this is just something that happens right so if Mm -hmm. you are uh for example jim lee everything you draw is always going to look like jim lee even if there is even if one of your characters in the comic book is an artist and they're painting something or they're doing something. It's -hmm. still going to be Jim Lee doing that art. And so it's going to look like Jim Lee's art. So Mm -hmm. when we get to the uh, person doing the, the street art that everyone is talking about, yeah, yeah, the tutor, you know, it's really cool art, but when I look at it, all I can see is the artist of this issue (laughs) doing, doing those murals. Right. So it's, the style of the art, the content creator is uh, reflected in the street art, which, you know, that's, uh, I understand hard to get it's, around. It know? is a, it is a very hard thing to get around. And, but it is something that could also be a detriment, right? Because we see the street art artist, the tutor. And then at the same time, Stephanie comes in and says, Oh man, there's an art gallery called spellbound. And we see this kind of hypnotism pattern and we see this art style, that's depicted in the, in the flyer. And then when we see the street art itself, it seems like those two are, are directly linked to one another, which they, they may be, but if it's supposed to be, I don't know, it, it, graphic art and design can be very difficult when you have a, when you have a style that people expect to see. Um, Do you know whether or not they have introduced the Batman villain spellbinder in the new 52 or the post? I have no Post, idea. Whatever it is. I have no idea. Because you just said spellbound, and I didn't really think about that until right now. There is an established bat villain with hypnotizy powers mm-hmm. called the spellbind. Yeah. So yeah. And if you look at the if you go back and look at the uh poster for Spellbound, a groundbreaking new art show at the Hill's own new life gallery, um, mm-hmm. it very much looks like, oh, this is somebody hypnotizing you and whatnot. So it, it very well could be bringing in one of those older um bad villains that we haven't seen before or haven't seen recently 
and right. make them the the big deal in this thing. And so we may actually see that maybe the the creepy old guy that they're thinking is the uh, is the serial killer is also Tudor and the art gallery. Who knows? We don't know. Mm, um, Banksy. Yeah, no, I don't think Banksy is is in this one. No, they're Banksy. It's Banksy. So, yeah, so that's kind of my my problem with graphic, you know, trying to imitate another or, or trying to do a different style of art using your art style inside of a comic book. That, that would, yeah. that's the only thing. I mean, it, it, maybe the artist could do a Banksy, but I have a feeling it would still look like this artist doing, trying to imitate Banksy. See, and I don't know whether you like this art or not, but I read through this thinking, God, Steven's going to love this because it looks so much like a grittier Ramos. And no, I'm just like, I, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that it looks like, um, Humberto Ramos, um, just because it's, it's really not in that style, but I would say that it is very, uh, who is the artist on this? Uh, real quick. Let me look here. Is it, uh, it's not Babstar. It's Jorge uh, Corona. Um, mm -hmm. it feels, and I'm not familiar with, um, his, his art style. Mm -hmm. It feels like when we had the Batgirl of, um, oh, that other Batgirl series where she was in the other part of Gotham. The Batgirl doing the of Burnside? Yeah, Batgirl Bab of Burnside. Yeah, yeah, with Babstar. This feels like a, a, a rougher version of some of her art, and it also feels like an art style that is specifically designed to draw in a YA audience. Mm -hmm. Um, just from the way that they depict everything and the color palette that's used. Uh, if you were to say, who is this for? I would say, oh, this is definitely them trying to attract, uh, YA girls. In fact, even Barbara Gordon is drawn significantly younger than the way that she is typically portrayed with these other two characters. In fact, if, if I were to say, you know, just looking at the three of them together on a panel, what are their age ranges? I would say they're all within five years of one another. I would just like 15 to 25 ish, something like that. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Barbara just does not look that much older. She's maybe five years older than, than the youngest one who I would say is maybe Cassandra, but, uh, that is that, that in itself is, is hard to tell. So this feels like a very teen oriented or mm -hmm. YA oriented uh, book, which again, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I, you know, I, I really appreciate a lot of YA books that, that I've read. I, I get a kick out of those and I like what they're doing. I like that comics are trying to find that, that audience, uh, that they have lost in the last 20 years. So I find that very good and refreshing. And if this is that book that, that, you know, is that introduction, introduction to comics for young female re readers, then great. Um, but that's just kind of what the art reminds me of. Uh, the, the other thing about the art that I don't know, the, the colorist who I, I don't have who the colorist is, uh, in front of me. And I know we talked a lot about, uh, coloring last time. Uh, in fact, mm -hmm. let me, let me just, uh, pause this portion of the, of the uh, review or of the discussion, because the colorist of the comic that we reviewed last week actually wrote to us and said, thanks for the kind words. I wanted to thank you for the kind words about my coloring in Lady Mechanica Monster Number 1. I joked my husband, I joked with my husband about attaching that rock star comment to his ringtone. Colors are often <laughs> overlooked, so I really appreciate the highlight in your review. You're right about most colorists not having the luxury of time. Joe Benitez and Marcia Chen are really thoughtful about their scheduling. It really helps us put our best foot 
forward. Uh, then she does go on to say that she does have her own OGN out that is called Grump uh, that uh, that you can go and and check out. So, um, right. yeah, so that's Beth Sotelo, I believe is how you say her her last name. Uh, but it was right. nice that that she listened to this. So back to this, then, since we're mm-hmm. talking about coloring. There is a base color palette that this colorist is using that uses mm-hmm. a lot of green, purple, red, and teal, I guess, for a, for lack of a better, better word. And, and yeah. some yellow is some yellowish color. Those are your five colors that you're going to find in here. And I don't dislike the color combination. Um, but it is, it's very different than what you might normally think of in comic books when you have so much of that teal yeah. and green and purple mixed together. It might make you yeah. think that, wait, is this a Joker comic book? And I think that's why you're seeing, because I don't see any resemblance to Babs Tar's line work, but I feel like the color palette and just sort of the general uh, vibe of things, you know, the, the general layout and the colors mm-hmm. chosen really does feel, I agree with you, first of all, YA, and second of all, very similar to that Batgirl of Burnside book from yeah. a few years ago. Yeah. But I feel like, um, again... Not everybody sees colors like I do. Uh, and I know that, especially when it comes to those poison greens that are all over here. But I feel like there are a lot of sequences here where backgrounds kind of go by the wayside in favor of a cool, you know, color splotch or something that yeah. kind of emphasizes or, or maybe emulates a sky. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a page where we see, hey, there's Cass and Babs, and they're on an orange background, and oh, the next panel is different, so now that background has gone green. I don't know, but you know, I keep running into bits in this story where I have to stop and look and think. Okay, it's stylization. It's not like all of a sudden the world outside the window has turned a crazy orange. But well, unless you're I trying will... to do, unless you're trying to do like uh, maybe something like from a Batman '66 where every mm-hmm. panel where they're punching out the bad guys is a different color to kind of emphasize that whoomp and the brack and the corfrump that they're, that they're hitting the guys. And so you have that kind of flashy, uh, color change. Uh, that's what it's called. Corfrump is, 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 no, carfrump is a, is a curse word in, in Finnish. Well, but that's what it oh. says here on the page. So, uh, take oh, it up with DC. Um, but, here's, DC. but again, going back to the coloring aspect, that page that you're, you're referencing where they're in the fight and they're against the yellow background and all the mm-hmm. panels that are inset are a different color. Mm-hmm. That's the same color palette that Tudor is using in his street art, which mm-hmm. again is like, okay, you're, you're trying to say something with the color. What are you trying to say with it? And I feel like there may be a contradiction going on. I wonder if it might not be intentional that they're using the greens and purples, which you know, in comic book parlance, do kind of represent, traditionally speaking, the villain side of things to try and, you know, point out that these guys are kind of under the radar and they are kind of acting in a vigilante or yeah, an outlaw way. I maybe. don't know. It's an interesting thought process, but I will also say I, I do love the fact that you can tell that the car that they steal from the criminals is a 59 Plymouth Fury like Christine. Yeah. Uh, a very well drawn, although tricked out to be kind of an evil death race, 59 mm-hmm. Plymouth Fury. Mm-hmm. That's kind of neat. And I like, you know, I feel like I like Corona's buildings and mm-hmm. 
his technology and his vehicles a lot more than I like uh, his body proportions. Oh, his characters? Yeah, well, you know, again, it's one of those things where stylization is fine. I mean, even guys like you know, John Byrne and George Perez take their, take, you know, they have little bits of things where they do take some liberties with what realistic bodies look like. But I'm, I'm just not a fan of everyone being really tall and lithe and rubbery. But also, there are a couple of sequences here, like that page you mentioned, where both uh, Batgirls are kicking at the camera, mm-hmm. metaphorically speaking, because mm-hmm. there's no camera, but at kicking the reader, at the reader, the yeah. and you get the super elongated, foreshortened legs, and mm-hmm. it looks really neat. And I'm like, I don't, I don't hate it. I don't love it, but it's fascinating to look at. It's yeah, really it's, it's great really, stuff. It's just it not is my really bag. stylized, and I. I think that if you were to go and look at the artist and the, and and this goes across all um, comic book artists uh, currently, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. a lot of artists are coming from outside the United States right now. You know, so they may be coming from the Philippines. They may be coming from Brazil. They may be coming from, you know, Central America, you know, wherever that they're coming from around the world. It may be Europe, Uh, but it's fascinating to see how they bring their, cultural aesthetic into comic pages. And I wonder if that's not some of the stuff that's happening here in this as well. It's it's definitely possible. And it, you know, when I say that I see uh, likenesses to Humberto Ramos and I think more specifically, and now I can't remember the name of the guy, um, but the, the gentleman from whom Ramos was taking some of his design cues when he took over impulse who had been on flash before him, that's again, that's complimentary. This is stuff that I don't necessarily, again, I don't feel like I'm the audience, but I, I, I want to make it clear that I'm not saying it's bad. It's really, really neat stuff. And you know, the moment where Cass comes out in her unicorn robe yeah. and you're like, Hey, wait a minute. Didn't, Oh, right. She just kicked the butt of several people off screen, but that's so cute. And that's one of those moments where you're just like, right, these are, you know, teenage women. And that's the point of the story is, you know, these are two young vigilantes doing their thing. I'm honestly surprised, given the way my kid acts, that they don't love the little Vespas. Yeah. 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 When she's like, here's your Batgirl Vespas. And they're like, uh, yeah. Yeah. No. Mo, I love, I love Vespas. I saw one today right? that was like a, a vintage one that, no, not today, yesterday. That was a vintage one. Uh, like a mm-hmm. 65 uh, Vespa that was just like, uh, wow, it was uh, one of the, what is it, Cabriolet um, Vespas, just mm-hmm. just in really great condition. I was like, oh, yeah, I want to I wanna get one of those. Did, did um, it have a little fish see, boy on it? No, 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 no. This was there was a little like fish a, boy on the last one that I saw. No. Uh, but yeah, no, <laughs> I, I dig it. And again, that I think maybe seeing the Vespa, because isn't that what uh, the Batgirl of Burnside's had? Wasn't she driving around on a Vespa? Oh gosh, maybe I didn't even think about that. I, I think that I think at least I remember at least one page or panel where she's riding around on a Vespa or a motorcycle. But then again, Vespa's m- motorcycles have pretty much always been a Batgirl vehicle, uh, whether you're going from a TV series or comic books or or whatever. So I can see that, uh, and and it's fine with me. And I think that 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 may also be again your kid is maybe a little bit older than. This target audience or maybe, you know, 
Really? Uh, maybe because uh, I think mm-hmm. that maybe, or maybe what it's saying is, um, your your kid is not into Vespas, or your kid is into Vespas. My kid loves a Vespa. Okay, so maybe that's what it is. Is that the readers who identify with Cassandra Kane and Stephanie Brown are younger, mm-hmm. and maybe they don't like Vespas. I don't know what the no. what the age you know what the younger kids are are thinking about with Vespas these days. But I could see somebody <laughs> in in this age range going, "Nah, I'll, I'll pass on these uh, hoogie little motorcycle things." So now we need to find some actual hello fellow kids and ask them, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. "How do you feel about Vespas?" So we spent a lot of time talking about the the art of this book. What what did you think mm-hmm. of the story in this book? I kind of said that I think that there's a lot of things going on, and it seems like mm-hmm. things are are going to converge in weird ways. Even though it seems like there's five different plot points going on at the same time, it feels like maybe there's mm-hmm. only two. Yeah. Is this meant to be a limited? I have no idea. Do we know if this is, um, I feel like if this is a six issue, like mini or limited, I agree with you that everything is going to tie into itself and it's all going to be one big bow. Otherwise, traditionally my thought on this, if it was 1987 and I was reading, um, my expectation would be that they have plotted out the first two or, you know, maybe even three years of this book. And mm-hmm. they're making sure in this first issue that we're getting the bits and pieces of all of these things are going to come up. They're all going to be very important. Um, speaking of hello, fellow kids, I'm f- going to be 51 tomorrow. A uh, happy birthday to me. But I felt a little bit of the hello, fellow kids from this writing, not necessarily to the point where it was off putting, but I feel like if someone much younger than us were reading this and you know they saw the eye rolling and the unicorn thing and the girls being like yeah we're awesome and i'm asleep on the top bunk there were there were points here where i felt like maybe it went a little further than i thought might be authentic in telling us how you know wild and and wacky these you know generation z uh teenage women are but that's also going to be something that I think is going to be in the eye of the beholder. So it's yeah, something I didn't, to I didn't have take that. into account. I didn't well, feel that, like, you know, I didn't feel like the writing was talking down to uh, the kids or trying down, to, but, no, but even just trying to, Hey, let's be pals kind of thing. Um, I didn't, I didn't, you feel know, like when, when Bob there. Haney in the sixties would write stories and it would be like, Hey, you groovy wonder chick. Yeah, no, no. Uh, but I'd be yeah, like, I know, I know really exactly what you're saying. Like that. You know, I understand you're, what you're, you're saying. I did not so. I did not get that in, in okay. this, uh, I, I it, felt like it was very natural and exuberant for these good. characters to act and talk the way they did. The one thing that I have the biggest problem with, and again, this is because I'm an old school Cassandra Kane fan. Um, mm-hmm. you are, old. I don't, I don't like that. She talks so much. And I know Ever that's since a, she had her brain rewired in like 2003 mm-hmm. though. Cassandra mm-hmm. has been talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. it's not true to the it's not true to that core concept. And I get it. You know, sometimes you do have something that you wish would have stuck with a character. I'm trying to think if in even in the recent um, uh, Young Justice series. I, I don't think she talks in that's in that animated series either in, in her big that uh, second animated? story arc. Yeah. in the animated Young Justice series. I don't think she talks Boy, in I don't that know. one either. I know that uh, the last few times I've oh, seen yeah, her yeah. in comics, she has. The book of Jimbo Fett says Cassandra is mute in Young Justice. That's that's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. So going now, from that Young Justice series on HBO Max to this, I'm like, wow, she sure talks a lot. But yeah, I'm aware that they 
reworked her brain and that she went through yeah. a bunch of speech therapy um to speak and i know that uh what's her her dad um what is her dad not sports david master. david kane uh, yeah david kane um was very upset that they they taught her to to speak because it's like now she's lost all of her powers and abilities she doesn't have that ability to read body language when she's too busy listening and talking so right. um, clue master is stephanie's dad is who right you're right yeah um so yeah that was probably the only thing about the writing that i that i was kind of put off by but you know th- again that's yeah. 20, 20 years ago kind of stuff. Um, but from the story, I thought it was fine. I think from a first issue, you're dumping a lot in, and I feel like there's a lot of energy in the story itself with these two younger, uh, heroes who are trying to, who are trying to, uh, do what their mentor is telling them to do, but they just so much want to go out and fight crime and do the right thing that they can't <laughs> help themselves. And, by doing that, they end up getting themselves in trouble. So in a little bit of a sense, it's kind of like impulse, right? Where yeah. this person doesn't have a, a governor to regulate what they're doing or saying. And so I think that that, from that standpoint, I kind of like, I kind of like this story. I don't know if I'm going to continue to read it though. That's, yeah. That's, that's the problem. where I am too. It's, there are things that you can get into and you can say, I definitely, you know, for me, I feel like the quality of this book is undeniable. This is really kind of fun. And while I don't necessarily agree with some of the visual decisions, I understand why they're being made, but I don't necessarily feel the need to read the whole thing necessarily because it feels like it is tied into a lot of things that I don't know and don't necessarily care to know about. I mean, when we look at the, the conversation that we had about, is this future state? Is this now? Who is the seer? All of this stuff tying into Scarecrow and blowing up all of the Arkham Asylum and all of mm-hmm. the things that, that pop up. I feel like this is a book that's going to read really, really nice to you if you're kind of aware of the goings on in Gotham. You don't necessarily have to be, I read everything Batman guy, although it will work for you too, if you are that guy and or girl, but I feel like it's going to work better for you. And I'm like, for all of the things that I enjoy here, I don't necessarily want to do the legwork to try and, and unravel all of the, the bits and pieces of it. It's kind of the same reason I fell away from justice league recently is I don't know when or where this is happening and parts of it are referencing things that these definitely happened, but then they're also like, yes, the multiverse says all of the stories happen, but the stories are contradictory. So all of the stories can't have happened. Go away, Black Adam. And, you know, but I will say this. If you say to me, should I read it? I think the answer is going to be yes. If you're interested in more kind of, teenage vigilante action, maybe of a, of a new warriors or an impulse style bent, not quite as young justice, the comic, which I feel was more comedic, but this is definitely something that it reminded me of the bad girl and the birds of prey movie, um, a little less vulgar, but sort of the same sort of vibe, mm. a kind mm-hmm. of a, a, a street level, this is real stuff and we're going to go out, but we're also going to, you know, have us a nice egg sandwich and mess around and do our thing over here. So I, I liked it. I don't love it, but you should read it. 
Uh, I have not been reading. I have not been reading anything going on with uh, with Batman um, for the last couple of years. So uh, to say that you need to know what's going on in order to to read this book, I don't agree because I think that they spell out enough stuff about, oh, we had to move because of this. And then they reference these things throughout the story to kind of get you caught up. Now, why the three of them are a team, you know, that's still the big question mark. But that's just something that, hey, everybody. Here's the team. They've been thrown thrown together just like the real world, and uh, they're going to go and live together in a loft in New York City. Uh, I'm sorry, Gotham City. Uh, and so, uh, you know, if you can just hand wave that part of it about why are they a team together, then the rest of this, I think, makes a lot of sense. Uh, there's not a whole lot that, you, that you're going to be confused on, um, even if the magistrate shows up or even if it is uh, after Fear State, which it is after Fear State. Um, mm-hmm. Then, you know, I, I don't think that that stuff really ultimately matters in this story. And I couldn't find if this was a limited series or an ongoing, it may be, Hey, we're going to try this out for six issues and see how it goes. And then if it, if it's doing well, we'll continue it kind of thing. Everything that I've seen says part one of six. Yeah. But doesn't commit to that six being the end. Also looking at what I'm looking, this is the first appearance of the saints in prime earth continuity. Mm, Okay. So this is the characters from future state coming up in the regular whatever that means DC universe. Also yeah. Seer does not yet have an entry on any of the databases that I can find. So they are new enough that I can't look them up and have everybody say, Oh, you're a genius who knows things about comics. So I'm very depressed about. That. Yeah. Uh, so I guess uh, bottom line <laughs> for me, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fine. Uh, I, you know, I think that, even though the cover says 13 plus, I really think that this is like 11 plus. Uh, mm. I don't think that I just don't see. I mean, yes, there's a lot of violence and kicking and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that is the reason why you need to go a 13 plus rating on here. There's no nudity. There's no bad words. Uh, so I don't know why it would necessitate that that warning unless it's violence. But I mean, I think it's, it's the violence and the implication of zombies. I think. Uh... I mean, I think they're, I think they're just, I think they're just hypnotized and zombies, even the zombies, I don't think are going to necessitate a, a 13 plus, but I don't know. I think, uh, if you're trying to attract a YA audience, which Mm. is what this reads to me, slapping that 13 plus on there, isn't going to help you. Uh, that being said, I don't know of any kid that has ever paid attention or really any parent, uh, that pays attention to any kind of ESRB or, uh, uh, parental adult grading system out there. So. Take that what if it, they're what doing that to get the eight and nine year olds <laughs> to buy it? Yes. Like when we, were, when we were 10 and 11, all the girls that we went to school with were like, I'm going to read 17. Why? So that I can be a teenager because soon I'll be a teenager. You put that 13 on there and the nine year olds are going to be like, oh, I'm getting away with something. I'm going to go buy that bad girl. Yeah, comic. probably not. Otherwise, the uh, I think not. the uh, the warning label would have been way up top because totally. I don't know how. I don't know, dear listeners, uh, and maybe people who are in the the dueling review uh, chat room who are listening live. Yeah. Um, I don't know how your comic book store displays new comics, but most of the ones that I have frequented over the years do a tiered system where the comic on the very front is the newest issue. And then the one behind that is the previous week's issue and, and so on and so forth. If they do it that way or else right. if they just have one kind of a newspaper magazine rack kind of uh, display, then 
you know, your front row might have ba- your top row might have Batgirls, but then that's being covered over on the row in front of it by Superman or the row in front of that by, you know, Captain America or whatever it may be. So mm-hmm. seeing that ages 13 plus way down in the lower left hand corner is probably going to not hit that marketing, that marketing gimmick. So I don't know how people are displaying their comics in comic stores these days. Uh, let's see. Jimbo Fett says, uh, mine does tiers of the new releases on one side. Then last week's on the other side of the tier. Okay. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yep. I haven't been in a comic store in so long. I couldn't even tell you. Yeah. So, uh, for me, uh, this is enjoyable. It's a fun comic. Uh, I think, yeah. um, that people should go out and pick it up. But now what we need to do is we need to wrap up the show and we need to let everyone know that if you want to vote on next week's show, then you need to head over to patreon.com slash major spoilers. Do not wait. Get it done by the end of the day on Saturday so I can tabulate things up on Sunday. Uh, As I mentioned last week on the show, I have now broken any kind of uh, reference to previews world for any of their comic book stuff. Uh, Mm -hmm. their tomfoolery and their shenanigans continue and I'm not going to have any of it. So for now, while the comiXology uh, website is up and still uh, putting up what's coming out in the weeks ahead, then uh, I'm just going to point you to that comiXology site. You can look and see what's coming out next week, the week of Christmas, and you can filter it by publisher. If you have a favorite publisher, Uh, realize that we don't do um, comic books that are trade collections. So somebody pointed out mm-hmm. earlier in the pre-show chat that the Comicsology next week is selling a, a comic that is $109.99. Uh, that's also an omnibus that is 600 plus pages. We're not going to be reviewing that. Uh, we're also no. not reviewing old stuff. And that is one of the things that is sometimes a little difficult when you're scanning through all those comics. You, you might see, oh, look, there's this Blood Syndicate issue 21 that's coming out next week. Well, that's also an old issue. That's a, you know, a a reprint, uh, so to speak, that they're doing. Mm -hmm. And one thing that you can do is look at what's the cover price. If it's $1.99, it's probably something that came out years ago. If it's $2.99 or higher, or in the case of, I know a couple of people have already voted on this for next week, uh, Batman One Dark Knight, number one, that's a $6.99 issue. Holy cow. Holy cow, six ninety nine. You don't have to read that. Uh, so and yeah, and that's not. I mean, that's one of those black label. I don't books, have seven dollars right? left in the budget, man. Uh, and then, uh, <laughs> but most of the most of the books you're going to see and be able to tell right away, you know, whether it is a legit book or not. But we don't do trades. We don't do reprints. Uh, obviously, on Comicsology, they're not going to have like the second printing of you know a, a book uh, there because it's digital. It's always the first copy. Right. Doesn't happen like. So go over there to uh, the, the Patreon site, patreon.com slash major spoilers. Look for the Dueling Review post for next week. Cast your vote, and then we will be back next week. Yes, we will have a show next week because I think it's the 23rd is Thursday. So we Correct. will be back live, and we're hoping that you connect your Patreon account to the Discord server so you can come and listen to us live. And until then, read some comics. Have some fun reading comics. And we'll be back next time. This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off 
buy rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill.